everyone wants to get more sleep, and there are a ton of different sleep hacks out there, noise machines, meditation, earplugs, which I do, but you can immediately transform your sleep with Bowl & Branch. We have Bowl & Branch sheets in our house. They're in white. They are so soft. In fact, we say all the time, but they really do get softer with every wash. And the sheets also come in a really pretty box, kind of wrapped up like a present just for you. They feel buttery and breathable to start. And again, as Motion and I always say, they get softer with every wash. Best of all, it feels a little bit luxurious every time you slip into bed. These best-selling sheets are also made with the finest 100% organic cotton. They are completely free from toxins, soft yet super breathable. There's a 30-night worry-free guarantee so you can wash them, style them, and sleep in them for an entire month. And if you don't really love them, you could send them back right away. And again, they're made without toxins. There's no synthetic pesticides, formaldehyde, and other harsh chemicals. So sleep better with the softest, most breathable bedding from Bowl & Branch. Get 15% off your order when you use the promo code MONEWS at bowlandbranch.com. That is Bowl & Branch, B-O-L-L-A-N-D, branch.com. That promo code MONEWS, M-O-N-E-W-S, for 15%, off your order. Okay, everyone, it is Thursday, August 11th. I'm Mo Shwanunu, and you're listening to the Mo News Daily Podcast. This is the place where we bring you just the facts from verified sources and a breakdown of what matters in the news. We read all the news and read between the lines so you don't have to. There's a lot of headlines to get to on this Thursday morning. We are still tracking what happened down in Mar-a-Lago, but the former president was also dealing with another legal case yesterday. We'll tell you why he pled the Fifth Amendment. We got our latest data point on how the economy is doing on Wednesday. Inflation still high, but appears to be chilling just a bit. We'll tell you what that means. President Biden on Wednesday also signed that much-talked-about burn pit legislation, which will help millions of veterans of the wars in Iraq and Afghanistan. You may have seen some headlines about thousands of new IRS agents in a new piece of legislation. I'll explain what is actually in the bill. And we have new numbers on the airports, times, and days of the week you must avoid if you want your best chance for an on-time flight. Okay, let's begin the podcast with former President Trump, whose legal troubles continue to dominate the headlines this week. He announced on Wednesday that he invoked his Fifth Amendment protection against self-incrimination as he testified in the New York Attorney General's long-running civil investigation into his business dealings. There are a number of investigations on the federal and state level he's currently facing. Right now, there are two in New York, one criminal, one civil. And the case we're talking about right now is that civil case in New York in regards to the Trump Corporation. These are separate from the situation in Mar-a-Lago. He actually, right now, the former president, is facing, I believe, six different cases at a state and federal level. But back to this first case, the civil case in which he pled the Fifth Amendment on Wednesday, the New York Attorney General Letitia James has said in court filings that her office has uncovered what she calls, quote, significant evidence that Trump's company misled lenders and tax authorities about the value of a number of his assets, like golf courses, skyscrapers, et cetera, through the years. And so she's been investigating as to whether any tax crimes or financial crimes have been committed by his company. She accuses the Trump organization of even exaggerating the size of Trump's Manhattan penthouse, saying it was nearly three times its actual size, a difference in value of about $200 million. 
Trump has previously denied all these allegations. He says that it's common practice in real estate to seek the best valuations. He's also said that Letitia James, who is black, is racist in pursuing the investigation against him. And he calls the whole thing a charade and a witch hunt, noting that Letitia James is a Democrat. She has been pursuing this case for more than a year now. She could decide to bring a lawsuit seeking financial penalties against Trump or his company. Again, this is the civil case, not a criminal case, so there's no jail time here. But again, she could pursue a lawsuit here, and he could face steep financial penalties. So back to the testimony. He showed up. He was there for about six and a half hours on Wednesday, and he showed up and he pled the fifth. Literally, the way it went down is after pleading the Fifth Amendment not to incriminate himself in the case, he repeated the words, quote, same answer over and over and over again. Uh, that includes a lunch break, some several shorter breaks, but basically six hours of the former president saying same answer. So the Fifth Amendment is the constitutional right that protects people from being compelled to be witnesses against themselves. Now, Trump has always called himself his best spokesperson, and actually there were a number of people who were surprised by this move. He was not expected by some to invoke the constitutional right against self-incrimination. The former president kind of finds himself between a rock and a hard place because the decision to plead the fifth in the civil case could save him problems in that secondary criminal case in Manhattan. He didn't want to cause himself any trouble or say anything in the civil case that could be used against him in that criminal case. So effectively, that might help him there. At the same time, decision could have ramifications for this civil case. Again, like I was saying, it was between a rock and a hard place for former President Trump here because the decision to plead the fifth here could have a negative impact. Juries, when it comes to civil matters, are allowed to draw a negative inference when a defendant pleads the fifth. They cannot do that in a criminal case. But in a civil case, Letitia James could say to them, listen, he pled the fifth here. You should take that into account. And so the bottom line here for Trump and his legal team, it appears they were more worried about that criminal case. So they decided to basically have him for six hours on Wednesday say, I plead the fifth, same answer, same answer, same answer. What's interesting is that former President Trump has been a longtime critic of those who take the Fifth Amendment. He once said at a rally, actually, back in 2016, You see, the mob takes the Fifth. If you're innocent, why are you taking the Fifth Amendment? But explaining himself on Wednesday in a statement, he said, When your family and company are under threat from a, quote, unfounded, politically motivated witch hunt supported by lawyers, prosecutors, and the fake news media, you have no choice. So that's the New York civil situation for now. It is one of at least, as I told you, six federal and state investigations the former president is facing right now, which brings us back to the story in Mar-a-Lago. On Wednesday, the latest line from former President Trump and his supporters is that the FBI was potentially going around and planting evidence while executing that 10-hour search warrant at his property in Florida on Monday. Now, there is no evidence for this that the FBI was going around planting evidence, but they're putting this seed out there. This is something that Trump has done for many, many years is try to be preemptive, try to be aggressive, especially when he anticipates that something negative might come out against him. He wants to establish the story first. The FBI, uh, since it's an ongoing investigation, is not speaking at the moment. They did leave his lawyers, Trump's lawyers, with a list of all the documents they took in the search. However, while the Trump team continues to say the entire thing is political and a charade and over things like pictures and news clippings and mementos, so far the Trump team have not chosen to reveal what was taken. They have the list from the FBI. Instead, they're going with the talking point that the FBI was going around planting things. Meanwhile, Axios has an interesting report out on Wednesday. Allies of Trump believe that an aide or aides to the former president may have, quote, flipped and provided evidence to the FBI. And that is what led to that search warrant. 
There's a lot of paranoia going around the Trump circles right now about that FBI raid and who snitched, so to speak, to the FBI about documents. The Washington Post is reporting that the raid was focused on whether Trump withheld items that had been requested by the Department of Justice and the archives over the past year. Apparently, the FBI, as they were going around the property on Monday in Florida, went into the basement, went into a whole bunch of places, which is leading paranoia. Who told the FBI what? As we've told you, under federal law, records and other material from the president and the White House as part of their official duties must be handed over to the National Archives. That is something that's been done in previous administrations, especially when it comes to classified documents. That appears to be the issue here. It has been nearly 19 months since former President Trump has left office. He's returned some items. There was an impression at the FBI and the archives that either documents were going to be withheld for a long time or be destroyed, which is what led them to go ahead with a search warrant. We will, of course, keep you updated here on this podcast and over on Instagram. Meanwhile, we have some welcome economic news. I'm a bit cautiously optimistic about this. After months of scorching inflation, it does appear like things have chilled or cooled off just a bit. That's according to new numbers we got on Wednesday. After constant inflationary increases month over month over month over the last year, consumer prices were unchanged between June and July. That's because fuel prices, airfares, and used car prices most significantly declined in price that effectively offset increases we're continuing to see in rent and food costs. So it basically flatlined from June to July. But when you look at July 2022 over 2021, there was still an 8.5% increase over the previous July. Now remember, June was sky-high inflation. June over the previous June was 9.1%. In July, it was 8.5%. So again, slightly less. But inflation at this level is still abnormally high. Economists are cautious. One month does not equal a trend, but there are hints that inflation might be starting to turn. In July, the sectors with the biggest price declines included airfares, which were down nearly 8% in July. Rental car prices were down almost 10%. And there are some real reasons to believe inflation will slow in the months ahead. Supply chain pressures, for instance, show signs of easing, which means uh, if the supply chain is getting better, more supply, ideally lower prices because demand is also easing. Remember, this is all a game of supply and demand when it comes to inflation and prices. So the good news is you have the airfares down, the rental car prices down, uh, gas prices have been down, but groceries, housing costs, in particular rent and other items are still going up. The bad news is that some of those costs are continuing to climb faster than wages. Uh, while you continue to see some wage increases, they are not competing with inflation. That is putting a strain on many family budgets. I'm hearing from a number of you on that front when you message me on Instagram. Bloomberg News broke down the inflation, the latest numbers, by U.S. cities. And while most American cities saw a break, it turns out that Tampa, Florida is one of the only places in the country left with double-digit inflation. It was up 11%. That's unchanged from May. Several cities saw declines of at least half a percentage point. That includes San Diego. San Diego, congratulations. Inflation cooled in your city. Uh, it's a 7% inflation as opposed to 8.5% a couple months ago. But Tampa, Florida, man, sorry for you guys. I'm hoping your prices uh, start to cool sometime soon. And regardless of all of that, it appears the stock market was pretty pumped about the number. The Dow, NASDAQ, S&P 500 all finished way up, some of the biggest numbers they've seen in months on Wednesday. And so the bottom line is this when you're talking to your families about the economic picture. The U.S. economy added half a million jobs in July. Inflation is still far too high, but it may be slowing. Like we said, other prices are still up and wage growth is not keeping up. And so the verdict is this. When the Fed meets again in September, they will again likely raise interest rates to keep slowing things down. But it might be less 
than the dramatic numbers we have seen in some of these previous rate increases this summer. Okay, now to the White House, where President Biden on Wednesday signed some long-awaited legislation. It is the new law to expand health care access for our veterans suffering from exposure to those toxic burn pits. This is the most significant law our nation has ever passed to help millions of veterans who are exposed to toxic substances during their military services. I was going to get this done come hell or high water. The pits were commonly used by U.S. soldiers in Iraq and Afghanistan to incinerate everything from chemicals to tires, plastics, human waste. Often troops would use jet fuel as an accelerant. It is estimated that up to three and a half million American troops are now suffering chronic illness due to those burn pits. Biden himself has said that he believes his son, Beau, who died in 2015 of brain cancer at the age of 46, may have been exposed to burn pits while serving in Iraq. The law will direct officials at the VA and government authorities to assume that certain respiratory illnesses and cancers are related to burn pit exposure. That'll help veterans get disability benefits without having to prove the illness was a result of their service. Until now, vets had to prove they were exposed, which was challenging for some of them. They were you know, being asked for pictures and evidence from 15, 20 years ago in the middle of war. So 70% until now of disability claims involving exposure to the pits have been denied until now by the VA. So this is long-awaited legislation. You might remember the whole controversy over this in recent weeks over in the Senate and uh, entertainer, comedian, and activist John Stewart fighting Republicans to get this done. It passed overwhelmingly in the Senate finally last week. Also on Wednesday, we had a stunning revelation of an Iranian plot to assassinate former senior U.S. government officials. The Justice Department announced criminal charges yesterday against a member of Iran's Islamic Revolutionary Guard, this is their elite military unit, for allegedly trying to orchestrate the assassination of John Bolton. John Bolton, you might know him, he has the mustache, he served as senior national security advisor uh, to Trump, served in the Bush administration. And he wasn't alone. There was also a plot to kill Mike Pompeo, the former CIA director and Secretary of State. Pompeo also served under President Trump. So this alleged plot to kill Bolton was likely in retaliation to the January 2020 U.S. airstrike that killed Qassam Soleimani. He was the commander of the Islamic Revolutionary Guard. After that strike, uh, just about two and a half years ago, leaders of the IRGC, the Islamic Revolutionary Guard, vowed for revenge, criticized Donald Trump and other high-ranking officials in the administration. Justice Department prosecutors say Sharam Porsafi, he's a 45-year-old Iranian national, he attempted to pay someone $300,000 in the U.S. to kill Bolton and then attempted to pay somebody a million dollars to kill Pompeo. Pompeo, who's actually looking to run for president potentially in 2024, has received continuous security since the end of the Trump administration because of these threats, both Pompeo and John Bolton were very much Iran hawks. They advocated a hardline stance against the Islamic Republic, so it appears there was this plot to take them out. The alleged uh, assassination plotter, Porsafi, who's named by the Justice Department, has not been arrested. He remains at large. This whole plan apparently went awry when Porsafi reached out to people here in the U.S. to kill Bolton and Pompeo, and that person turned out to be an FBI informant. Porsafi actually went so far as to travel to the U.S. last November to track Bolton's move. He was noticing when he was taking walks, and he was giving recommendations to uh, this person here he was trying to pay, who turned out to be an FBI informant. He was trying to give him tips as to how to kill Bolton. So it's a pretty stunning headline. Uh, we'll wait to see if they ever are able to catch up with Porsafi or where he is. If he's protecting Iran, it might be pretty difficult. This all comes against the backdrop of the Biden administration right now negotiating a nuclear deal with Iran but uh, tensions are high, and this was a pretty remarkable headline we saw on Wednesday. 
Okay, staying in Washington for one more story here. I've been trying to track details on that major spending and climate bill that passed the Senate over the weekend. It was more than $700 billion. It's moving closer to a vote in the House this week. It's expected to pass the House and get signed into law. One of the more controversial provisions you may be hearing about is nearly $80 billion in new IRS funding with 45 and a half devoted to, quote, enforcement. Now, that enforcement could include thousands of new agents. The number 87,000 has been thrown around. It has raised questions, including from many critics and a number of Republicans, on who the IRS may target for audits with all these new agents. In a recent letter to the U.S. Senate, the IRS commissioner says that average Americans don't need to worry. He said, quote, in the letter, this is absolutely not about increasing audit scrutiny on small businesses or middle-income Americans. But there are a lot of skeptics out there. According to the bill, all these new agents are projected to bring an extra $203 billion in revenue over the next 10 years into the IRS, and opponents say this will affect everyday Americans. There are some recent numbers out on IRS audits and who they go after. According to a recent government report, IRS audits plunged 44% between 2015 and 2019. Now, while audits dropped 75% of Americans who made a million dollars or more, the percentage fell by only 33% for low to moderate income filers. Apparently, some of this has to do with the earned income tax credit. Apparently, there's some automated stuff within IRS machines which lead to more audits around that. And they add that since many low-income Americans are wage earners, like hourly wages, these audits are generally much less complex than dealing with rich people who are making millions and millions of dollars. Either way, expect to hear much more about this in the coming weeks, months, as the two political parties trade allegations around this. Keep in mind that the IRS has actually been facing cuts for 40 years because of how unpopular they are. It is popular for Congress to cut funding to the IRS. What that has meant for the IRS, though, is antiquated equipment, not enough workers, and you might have seen it in recent years in terms of how long it took you to see uh, your tax returns, whether you were getting a check or not. So they've been complaining for years. This funding was much needed. The government is trying to raise funds to be able to spend more money. They want to be able to bring in more money, and the taxes are a big deal there. So there's 87,000 new employees that could come in with this funding. By the way, keep in mind, according to the IRS, these will not all be audit agents. Among the 87,000 will also include customer service and IT. Either way, when you're filing next year uh, and in the coming years, make sure to cross all the T's, dot all the I's, and uh, double check your math, folks. All right, I want to end here with some travel news as we close out the summer travel season and head into fall. If you want to avoid flight cancellations, you might want to avoid New York City, flying on Thursdays, or after 4 p.m. According to new data from the company AirHelp, which helps travelers process claims related to flight disruptions all over the world, the company looked at the most cancellation-ridden airports in the U.S. between May and July. This included 37,000 cancellations at 400 airports. While the average American airport saw 2.6% of its flights canceled during that time period, during that two-month time period, the most affected hubs were New York's LaGuardia and Newark's Liberty Airport in New Jersey. They had three times as many disruptions, 7.7% and 7.6% of their flights, respectively, were disrupted. That is three times the average airport. Just out of Newark and LaGuardia, the airport that saw the third most canceled flight was DC's Reagan Airport, nearly 6% of its flights canceled, and then Pittsburgh in fourth place with just over 4% of canceled flights. Now, some of us can't help where we fly out of. I, as a New Yorker, I have to use one of those airports often, LaGuardia or Newark. So the study actually looked at other factors that you can take into account when you take off and land on time. So they looked at time of day. The largest concentration of cancellations came in the evening hours between 4 p.m. and 10 p.m., so it looks like if you can, fly in the mornings or, by the latest, lunchtime. 
And it turns out the day of the week can have an effect as well as you book your flights if you have a choice. Cancellations were nearly twice as common on a Thursday versus a Tuesday. So Tuesday is the day to least likely see cancellations. And then when it comes to delays, Friday was the worst day for delays. Uh, nearly a third of Friday flights were delayed. And again, Tuesday wins the uh, delay race. It wins out as the best day to travel if you don't want to delay. Nearly 80% of flights take off on time on Tuesdays. Okay, so in sum here, Tuesday is your day. Try to fly before 4 p.m. And if you can avoid the New York area uh, and a number of East Coast cities, including Pittsburgh, uh, that is your best bet for an on-time flight. A quick programming note before we go, if you have not had a chance yet to download and check out part one of our new series with former CIA director Mike Morell, please uh, check out, it should be the most recent episode before this, on the app. It went out yesterday. It's on all things China, Taiwan, and just the larger threat situation in East Asia. I spoke with Morell at length this week. We're splitting up the podcast into multiple sections. So yesterday, the China section went out. He is a fascinating former CIA acting director. He spent more than 30 years in the agency. So part one is China. Next week, we have a deep dive into all things Al-Qaeda, uh, what goes on in a situation room when the president is considering whether to assassinate a terror leader. Morel takes us in there. He was in the room in May 2011 when the decision was made to go ahead and take out bin Laden. And then finally, later this month with Morel, we will have a deep dive into all things Putin, Ukraine, and Russia. I want to thank everyone for listening to the Mo News Daily Podcast. We'd love your feedback on how we're doing, what we're covering, etc. Please email me, podcast at mo.news. I've gotten some really thoughtful, great notes from you, and so I really appreciate it. Podcast at mo.news. Please subscribe to our newsletter, the Mo News newsletter, over at monews.bulletin.com. And follow me over on Instagram at Moshe at M-O-S-H-E-H. And don't forget to follow the show, subscribe to the show on the app you're listening to us on, and review us in the App Store. Every review makes a difference, and it helps us continue to grow the show. I'll see everyone back here tomorrow.